Are you ready this morning? You see that, that word up there, right? Are you ready? Are you ready for some preaching? All right. I, I hear that. And I will deliver because I'm, I'm here to preach this morning. And uh, I'm excited to be here. Um, this this uh, scripture is, is really cool, isn't it? The parable of the Good Samaritan. It's probably one of the most... One of the most familiar, familiar parables, I mean, we have like laws about it, the like Good Samaritan Law and all that kind of stuff. I remember learning about this first when I was a kid. Um, my parents had this really cool contraption. It was called a record player. And they had this, yeah, it's, it's about this big, Scott. And it spins around, you put a needle on it, and it brings sound out of, out of these big speakers. And they had this thing, it was called the Children's Bible. And it was a big comic book Bible, perfect for, you know, like a five-year-old boy like me. And I remember going through the children's Bible and learning the stories and, and hearing the cool, uh, you know, narrations and the music. And the Good Samaritan story was one that really hit me because it always just like struck me as a little kid that the guy was naked on the side of the road. And I just felt bad for him because I figured he had to be really, really embarrassed, you know. And, and I, I thought about that. Well, when I was about 16, that story, I, I realized it had embedded itself into my, into my heart because I hadn't thought about it a whole lot. But I was driving home from the mall. It was late at night. And I saw this guy standing in the median. And this was back when this wasn't the most common thing in the world. But standing there with the sign, you know, and he had a little cross on it. So that hooked me in. And, and it said, you know, I have three kids, need food, all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I remember, like, driving up to the guy. I said, what's your, what's your deal? What, what's going on? He said, oh, I've got three kids, but someone took them. And I, I, I just need to get some money for them. I'm trying, I just need some of this. And I said, don't go anywhere. And I, and I left. I went home. And my dad said, what are you doing? I'm like, I got to go find some money. I got to give this guy some money. My dad said, my dad was like, oh, okay. And he said, well, let's bring him some food. So, so we made some sandwiches and all this kind of stuff. And, and I really felt like, you know, man, I felt bad for this guy. So I, I packed up this stuff and I, I drove back down there. And I walked up to him and I, and I kind of felt like I was going to be this guy's, you know, his knight in shining armor or whatever. And I go to give him the food and he takes it and he's like, what am I supposed to do with this? I'm like, well, you need food for your kids, right? He goes, well, I need $20, you know? And I remember feeling like so violated in that moment. You know, I felt like, what? I, I, I did all this for you, and this is what I felt scammed. And, and uh, I, you know, it made me kind of cynical. So, you know, these days when I encounter situations like that, I can have a tendency to, to maybe be a little judgmental or a little cynical with that. And, of course, working in a church like, like First United Methodist Samarian, who's known for its, its uh, you know, generous nature in the community. You know, we have plenty of opportunities like that to find ourselves in similar situations. So it reminds me a lot of this story in the New Testament that Jesus answers a question from this man who comes to him, right? And this guy that comes to Jesus to talk about these exact issues, he's a lawyer. Now, that doesn't mean he's an attorney, okay? He's not that kind of lawyer. It means he's an expert in the law, the Jewish law. So he knows all of the rules that had been given to the people about how you're supposed to behave and what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to get to heaven. So he comes to Jesus asking a question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And he wants an answer. He wants a rule. And Jesus says, fine, tell me what the rules are. And the guy tells him what the rules are. And Jesus says, okay, well then do it. But this guy is a little bit smarter, isn't he? He wants to know something else. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And the guy says, yeah, but who is my neighbor? Right? This guy wants to test it a little bit. Now, why do you think he asked that question? The reason why he asked that question is basically because he wants to know 
what is the absolute minimum standard thing I must do to meet this requirement? What do, I, I want to do that and no more. What's the minimum? Who is my neighbor? Because I certainly wouldn't want to love someone who's not my neighbor if I don't have to, right? Give me the minimum standard. You, you ever operate like that with anything? You know, I, I don't know about you, but when it comes time for like tax season, I, I pay an accountant money so that I don't have to pay the IRS any more than, than, than what I absolutely have to, the minimum standard, right? I don't just kind of go, oh, well, whatever. We'll just guess high this year and they'll, maybe they'll send us a thank you letter, you know? When I was in school, there were certain courses, like all of them except for like maybe gym, where I thought, I just want to know what I got to do to get out of here, man. I'm not an overachiever. I just want to know, you know. And some of us are like that when it comes to what it means to follow God. But this is not a question, according to Jesus, about just doing the minimum, is it? Because what Jesus is not interested in are, are people who have that desire to just check a box or just skate by. Because that's not what the kingdom of heaven is all about, is it? You see, the kingdom of heaven isn't about just doing the minimum that you have to do to get by. The kingdom of heaven is about being a transformed person. You see, there's a difference between what a person does and what kind of person they are. And you can look at a person and what they do and get some indication of what kind of person they are, but really until you get to the, the inside of their heart and their will and you know the why behind what we do, you really don't know what kind of person somebody is until you know why they do what they do, right? So what Jesus is saying to this expert in the law is this. I want you to be the kind of person that is good that doesn't even need a law. See, you know the law was given to the people not so that they could learn the minimum standard and achieve only that. The law was given to the people just so that they could be shown to be sinners. Let me give you an example. When, when, I'm, when I was commuting from uh, Wilton to Marion, when I first got the, got the position here at this church, I was driving up. I was amazed at the hospitality of the city of Cedar Rapids. As you drive into the city of Cedar Rapids on Interstate 380 and you're encountered by the wonderful sights and smells of downtown Cedar Rapids, you know, there, there's a moment in time where, where you can find yourself invited by the city to pay $75 as a welcome to the city for driving on Interstate 380 a little faster than you thought you should. Now, the first time, the first time, okay, I've gotten two of those invitations. Um, the first time, I could be real, I didn't know I was going that fast, okay? Second time, I just, I thought I was beyond that place, but I, they have two opportunities, now I just go 30, right? But until the sign appears, you don't know that you're speeding, right? Until that little thing hits you and you get the picture of your car from the backside, you know? You don't know that you're, that you're breaking the law. It isn't until the law appears to say, yeah, you're going too fast. Now, what Jesus would say in this context is, I want you to be the kind of person that doesn't need a sign. I want you to be the kind of person that doesn't need a law or a rule to just do what I want you to do. You see, when it comes to service, when it comes to, to, to figuring out what it means to love one another, we have to be ready because we have a tendency to be people who want to just meet the minimum standard sometimes. So we, like this man, ask the question, you know, who is my neighbor and who will you serve? So let's just answer the question, according to Jesus, who is the neighbor? Who is your neighbor? And the answer is simply this, anyone in need. 
Now, the fact that, that Jesus identifies this man who comes to the rescue of the, of, the, of the hurt person as a Samaritan, and he says that was the neighbor, that is going to eliminate all sorts of, of you know, people from the Jewish people's mind if they would serve. That's going to eliminate them because the Jews hated the Samaritans. They wanted nothing to do with them. They certainly would never consider them their neighbor, and they certainly would never consider them servants. See, we can have a tendency to do that sometimes. When we look at who will serve, we will limit the who, won't we? You ever look at a person and say about the who, oh, I'm not going to serve them, I'm not going to help them because of various reasons. Maybe it's because we've, we've looked at them and said, well, you know what, the mess they're in is the mess they created. It's their own fault why they're in that situation, so I'm not going to help them out. They got themselves into it, they can get themselves out. We got all sorts of ways to say that, don't we? You've made your bed, now lie in it. We limit that, don't we? Sometimes when it comes to serve people, you know, I can have a tendency to do that. When I see a person in that situation go, well, you know what? You caused it. You deal with it, right? We can, we can limit that, right? We can limit the who. Maybe we'll just limit the who in terms of our neighbor to people who are just like us. Or maybe we limit the who to people who we know someday might serve us back, right? Because we want that service to go around. But remember, Jesus says your neighbor is anyone in need. So when we look at the who, we have to ask ourselves, how are we limiting that? Sometimes we limit the when, don't we? When will we serve? Well, for a lot of us, it's, it's you know, whenever it's convenient, isn't it? You know, it's, it's convenient to serve when sometimes. And we say, well, I'm just not going to serve right now today because it's not my time. I got too much going on. I'm too busy. I don't have the time. It's inconvenient. You know, I was listening to a sermon this week uh, about this text from Tim Keller, and he was, he was reflecting on the words of Jonathan Edwards, who was quoting Galatians 6.2, and, and he was saying, and Galatians 6.2 says this, Bear one another's burdens, and in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ. And what he was commenting on was, if it's not inconvenient, then how can you have borne a burden? If it doesn't hurt you, if it hasn't cost you, if it hasn't been something that puts you out, then, then how does that count as a sacrifice? So we have a tendency sometimes to limit the when. And we think, well, I'll serve when I, when I can. But you know what? Maybe I'm just in too much of a hurry today. And I don't have a chance to stop and to help or whatever it might be. So we limit the when. And sometimes we limit the magnitude of our, of our level of service, don't we? We limit our, the magnitude. How much will we serve? How far will we go when we serve people? Will we serve just a little or will we meet their need entirely? You know what the standard is according to Jesus and according to the, the law of God? He says that you are to love your neighbor with the same force and urgency and magnitude to meet their needs the way you meet your own. To meet their needs with the same force, magnitude, and urgency that you meet your own. Now think about how well you meet your own need. Do you wait until it's absolutely dire? Do you wait until there's nothing left to meet your own needs? I suspect that each of us will, will go out to, to, to have some meal today before we're at the point of collapsing from malnutrition. We won't wait until there's nothing left. We'll, we'll serve ourselves. We don't wait when there's something that we want or that we need or that we want to do until there's, there's you know, a, a moment of absolute crisis. We don't do that for ourselves, so Jesus would say, don't do that for others. But we tend to limit those things sometimes. So Jesus says, look, when it comes to the who you will serve, it's anyone in need, and the, it's, it's without any regard for 
our own sense of convenience or our own sense of, of urgency. It's about what that person needs. So we talk about the, the who will we serve. Well, now we're going to ask the question, why we serve? Why will you serve? And this is, of course, the, the heart of this parable. It isn't about what you do. It's about why you do what you do. And I, I really believe that there are three reasons why human beings serve other human beings. There are three reasons. The first reason is just good old secular, non-religious morality, right? There are plenty of people in the world who don't subscribe to any religious belief that serve because it's just what you do, right? It's just the right thing to do, you know? You want to have a good world, you just serve each other. It's the good thing to do. And, and there are many people who do good things. But remember, you can't always tell what kind of person is, what kind of person somebody is by what they do. You have to get to the why what they do. Well, the second reason why people serve sometimes besides just regular old-fashioned morality, it has to do with their religion, right? There, there are people who believe it to be their religious duty to, to serve and meet the needs of others, to take care of other people. In, in fact, there are every major world religion has at, its, at some level a component of serving others. It's part of what it means to be religious, whether you're Christian, Hindu, Muslim, Jewish, whatever it might be, you're going to find within there some sort of, of, of obligation to serve. But you want to know what, what I find interesting about this? I think it's interesting that in this parable, Jesus places people with those two characteristics right in the middle of this parable, doesn't he? See, the, the guy walking down the road is a priest, the first guy. Well, he's a man who's used to serving people. He's not a person who's, who's like selfish and never gives away or never thinks about anything and doesn't love God. He's a man who loves God. And he's a man who does his religious duty. But yet it's interesting that that duty to take care of this man somehow doesn't qualify. So he passes by the second man in the same way as a Levite. He's a man acquainted with the law. He's a man acquainted with God. A person used to serving. These aren't, you know, the worst human beings in the world in the parable. These are good, religious, church-going people that pass this man by. And you want to know why? Because ultimately, the same thing drives a person to serve if they're motivated by morality or simple religion. You want to know what that thing is? It's guilt. It's guilt. Think about it. Think about what a motivator guilt can be sometimes. You know, do you ever feel guilty when you look at someone who has nothing and you have so much? Do you ever feel badly about that? Do you ever look at, at a situation in the world and you go, oh my goodness, I live in a beautiful house and I have this and I have that, and, and there are people with so much less. You know, you, you're, you're in the store and you're, you're, you see a family with, with seemingly nothing and, and you've got overflowing groceries and things in your freezer and money in your bank account and the person comes up with, with all these children and, and they pay with food stamps or something like that and, and you look at them. Do you ever feel guilty about that? When you turn on the television and you see all these starving kids across the world or, or people who are, get up every day and, and work jobs they hate to barely put food on the table and, and you see yourself and maybe if you're like me, you have a job that you absolutely love and, and you go to work and you have more than what you need and you look at that and you feel badly and so, so you're motivated in some way to give or to serve. Let me tell you something. Jesus does not want you to feel guilty. Okay? So if you have all this guilt and you think that's making you a better person, it's really not. 
It's going to make you cynical and bitter and self-focused and ultimately prideful. Because when you do meet needs, you're going to pat yourself on the back. And when you don't meet needs, you're going to feel, you're going to feel hurt. And ultimately, you're going to turn into a resentful, bitter person. So let go of the guilt, because guilt is not a good motivator for service. See, there's something far more powerful than guilt at play here in this story. Because the type of servanthood that Jesus holds up as the standard cannot be achieved through morality or religion. It can only be achieved through the gospel. You see, the gospel is different. The gospel is not a motivator out of guilt that says, well, you have, others do not. Therefore, you better do it. You're a bad person. The gospel is an entirely different motivator, isn't it? See, the gospel is understood as recognizing the fact that you have been served. Notice where Jesus puts the man asking the question in the story. And you know that's what he does, don't you? When he says a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he's talking about the man. He's saying basically you. Notice he doesn't put the man on the horse passing by the man in need and saying, what will you do? He puts the man on the ground and says, look at the need that you have and then look at the way that you have been served. You see, the thing that's far more, far more motivating than guilt is gratitude and love. And that is the root of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ has come down off his horse to rescue you when you were the cause, when I was the cause of my own worst problems. Did you know that, that when a person is the cause of their own problems, they're in more need than when, it's, when we're a victim of someone else? Did you know that Jesus met your need when you didn't deserve it? When you were his enemy, when you hadn't done a thing for him. And did you know that there's nothing you can ever do to pay him back? Did you know that Jesus met your need fully and completely? He met it with the magnitude and the urgency and the force of all heaven and all of his divinity. When he came down off his horse and he bandaged you up and he carried you to the inn and he paid the ultimate price, he said, whatever is required for this person to be made whole, I will pay the cost. Jesus is the man who comes off his horse to rescue the man and the woman laying on the ground, ravaged by robbers, left for dead. And that gratitude and that love, when we recognize what he has done for us. That has the power alone to transform your life, not a rule on what you're supposed to do to be a good person. You see the difference? Jesus is not interested in your behavior change. He's interested in your heart being transformed, and your heart will never be transformed by guilt, but it will be transformed by the gospel. So what do you need to be ready to serve? What do you need? You need a big program? You know, we're about to have a big program. You know, we're going to be doing this big fundraiser coming up here, you know. And, and, and I'll tell you something right now. It's going to be a lot of work, and we're going we're gonna to be preaching sermons and we talking about it. But I can tell you this, and I know this is the heart of Mike Morgan as well. We are not going to stand up here and guilt you into giving money to build a church or anything else. It's tempting sometimes because it works. But I'll tell you something right now. It may work to build a building, but it won't work to build a, a kingdom. Because here's the thing, you can have a brand new building built by people who feel guilty so they write checks 
and be no closer to the kingdom of God than you were if you were worshiping Jesus out in a shack down the back behind a store. It's not what you do, it's what kind of person you are. It's what's been transformed in your heart. And Jesus isn't interested in people who just want to meet the minimum standard and no more. So what do you need? You need this. You you need a gospel-centered heart for this and for everything. You need a heart that's centered on the gospel, a heart that recognizes the gratitude that you should have for Jesus and that the love that you have because of what he's done for you. You need a heart that, that focuses not on just keeping rules, but a heart that says, wow, I have been so served in such a powerful way that what more could I do? but to take that service and that blessing and give it to others the same way that it has been given unto me. That is a powerful force. Think about how that is so much more powerful than guilt. Some of you parents with kids that have like gone off to college or whatever or are grown up, you ever call them up and guilt them out? You're like, hey, how come you never call me anymore? You never stop by. You know, let me ask you something. Do you want your kids stopping by because they feel bad? Or do you want them stopping by because they love you and they want to be with you? Right? Some of you kids think about it. You know? Some of you are like, hey, how come, you know, you want your parents to go to your games or your concerts or your stuff or whatever. And you're like, hey, you know, my friends, their parents are always there and this and that, and, and you never come. And do you want your parents to show up with the attitude like, all right, what time's this thing over? I got to get out of here. Maybe if I, maybe I just, they see me and then I'll fade away at, at the end of the first quarter and, and it'll be okay. No, they don't want that. They don't want you there because you're supposed to be there. They want you there because you wouldn't miss it for the world because that's your kid and you're going to be cheering for them and you're going to be screaming for them and you're going to know everything that's going on because, because you love them. That's motivation. That comes from gratitude. That's a gospel-centered heart. It's a gospel-centered heart. That's what we need when it comes to our faith. We, Jesus isn't looking for people who feel guilty so they'll serve him. He's looking for people who, who have gratitude for what he's done and are willing to take that into the world. You need a gospel-centered heart. You also need this, love for Jesus. Now, that might be the most obvious thing a preacher ever said, right? But think about it for a second. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves, but first we're to love God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. I think there's a reason for that order because ultimately, this is what I know to be true. If I look to human beings and I get to decide whether or not they're deserving or worthy of my help, I will always find a reason why they're not right? If it's inconvenient or if they don't meet my criteria. I can always find a reason why somebody doesn't deserve my help, but I can never find a reason why Jesus doesn't. So we don't serve one another and this world because we love the world, although we're called to. Ultimately, we serve and love the world because we love Jesus. So whenever you're forced into a situation where you're helping somebody and you know they don't deserve it, don't let that bother you because you didn't deserve it either. You don't do it because you love them. You do it because you love Jesus. And here's what's amazing. When you focus on that, and when you let Jesus be the love of your life, it's amazing how your heart can become transformed, and you can start loving people you never thought you could love. It's amazing how that can happen. I've seen it happen in my own life, and I've seen it happen in your lives. So you've got to have love for Jesus. You've got to let that be your motivator. And then lastly, what do you need? Are you ready to serve? What do you need? You need this. Only what you have. Only what you have. I know sometimes, you know, it's, it's, you look at the world and it's frustrating because there's such a great need out there and you feel like you're not a person who can really do anything about it. You don't have a lot of money. You don't have a lot of energy. You might not be a talented person. You might not have all this stuff. So you can, it's, you can put yourself into a, into a box and go, well, I just don't really have anything to offer. 
Maybe if I was, you know, retired, or maybe if I was wealthy, or maybe if I didn't have so much work to do, or maybe if I, you know, whatever, whatever. All you have to have is what you already have, because Jesus Christ has put you where you are with what you have. And I promise you this, there are people in your life right around you right now who need you to gospel neighbor them with only what you have. Because think about it. If you look at it like that, well, I only have that. No, look at what you have. You have the gospel. You have the most powerful force in the universe inside of you. You have the most powerful love all around you. What more could you give than that? Are you ready to serve? Are you ready to let the gospel of Christ transform you into the kind of person that doesn't even need a rule that you have to meet in order to do what you should? That's what Jesus is after. I want you to think about that as we get ready to take communion. Because the night that Jesus instituted communion, before he did so, he wrapped a towel around his waist and he modeled servanthood in another way. And he he washed the feet of his disciples and he said, look. And they all knew they didn't deserve it. They even said, hey, you can't do that for me. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to. And he wasn't trying to make him feel guilty. He was trying to make him grateful. Big difference. And as he moved on with his night, he, he began to move toward the, the part where, where he gave his body and blood through the, through the Eucharist, which we'll talk about here in a second. But I'm reminded of the verses where Jesus said to his disciples, he said, look, I have come and I, I lay my life down for my sheep. No one takes it from me. He says, I give it freely. I have the power to give it and I have the power to take it back. And I choose to give it. Now let me tell you something. Jesus did not do that because he felt guilty. He did that because he had great love in his heart. Guilt did not drag Jesus to the cross. Rather, love drew him there. And it is that same love that will draw you here today. Because Jesus' invitation to give you a gospel-centered heart is here for you this morning. Communion in the United Methodist Church is open to anyone who would say, I want a gospel-centered heart. I want to be served by Jesus. I want to know what he's about. If that's your heart, then we don't care if you belong to this church or any other church. We don't care whether you have perfect attendance at Sunday school or whether you never want a day in your life. All we care about is this. Do you want to know this Jesus? And if you do, then this is your opportunity to be in a very real way a man or woman laying on the ground. And when you come this morning to receive, imagine Jesus Christ getting off his horse where it was dangerous. You know, that was a dangerous road. There were robbers all around and it had been very tempting to just keep on walking so you wouldn't get hurt. But Jesus walked right into the danger of sin. And he says, I want you Will you receive that this morning? If you would have that for your experience this morning, then communion is open to you because the gospel is open to you. The night he was betrayed, scriptures tell us that Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he gave thanks for it and he served his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. Each of you take this and eat this.
when the supper was ended, in the same way, he took the cup, he gave thanks to God for it. Think about that for one second. He gave thanks to God for his opportunity to lay down his life in service. He didn't say, well, this is what I have to do to be the son of God. It's kind of in the job description. I've done everything else, turned water into wine, walked on, walked on the ocean. You know, now I have to do this, so let's just get through it. No, he gave thanks to God for his opportunity to serve. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins for you and for many. As often as you drink of this, do so in remembrance of me. If you would come this morning to remember Jesus and to be served by him, and understand this, you are welcome. Welcome to learn who Jesus is, to be served by him, and then challenged to take that gospel-centered heart into the world and serve your neighbor, anyone who could be in your need. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we worship you today, and we thank you, God, for your sacrifice and for your service. Help us, Lord, to always remember you, Lord, And to be filled not with guilt, Lord, but with gratitude for all that you have done for us. May we, in turn, Lord, become people who serve the way you serve, Lord, because we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.